Let's turn to Romans 5, verses 18. We'll read to chapter 6, verse 14. Romans 5, verse 18. Where you read the following words, Romans 5, 18, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never again, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passion. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in verse 1, Paul asks that question, what shall we say then? Are we, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And he answers that question that he answers by saying, by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? And here we see Paul taking up that matter of grace. That matter of grace. What's grace? What's What's the definition that Paul's using when he speaks about grace? And basically what Paul's speaking about is that which we have received from God, something that we don't deserve, that we receive by faith, that we put our trust in God, in Christ Jesus, and that we are sinners. And God grants to us salvation not by the works of our hands, 
not that which we have done, but that God grants us salvation through the work that Christ Jesus has done on the cross of Calvary, that he has saved us, and it's only through his sacrifice that we can say that we have salvation. It was his work and his work alone. So we come to church and we sit down in the pews and we sing praise to God and we pray to God and we listen to the sermon. All that we have, of all that we are, is only possible through the grace that we have received from God, that he has granted us, that to us, and he has granted to us only based on his will, that he willed us, that he predestined us, that we would be saved. And it's completely on the merit of Christ Jesus that we can say that we have this salvation. When we speak, for example, to Roman Catholics, when you ask a Roman Catholic, are you going to heaven? A faithful Roman Catholic that goes to Mass, a real faithful one will go to Mass every single day because that's required in order to gain salvation. Those who follow the traditions, those who participate in, in all that they do, you've asked them, do you have salvation? They may at first say, Yes, but then as you question them a little bit more, are you going to heaven? Are you sure that you're going to heaven? They'll stop. Well, we can't be that sure. I hope so. And if you press them a little bit more, but why not or why would you? It'll come down to something that they are doing, that they're living a pretty good life or else they'll say, I'm, I'm following the law of God. I'm living according to the law of God. And I'm, I'm not so bad as that person over there. So they're, they're looking to something that they're doing, that they're not doing, that will merit them salvation. They confuse. Here we have the word justification, the passage that we have before us. They confuse justification with sanctification. Justification is that we are justified, that we are declared righteous, not on our merit, but on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ was placed on the cross of Calvary, when he died, he died for our sins. And so our sins were placed there on the cross with Jesus Christ. He took upon himself our sins. He took upon the burden that we had, that we are sinners or we're sinners without hope and without salvation. And Christ on the cross of Calvary voluntarily took upon himself all of our sins. He died in our place. He paid the sacrifice. He suffered hell itself on, on our behalf. And his righteousness is then given to us, is counted to us, is reckoned to us, is imputed to us based not on what we have done, but on the election of God, what God had decided that he would save his people from all of their sins. It's all by grace. Unmerited salvation to poor sinners who are completely
completely, completely unable to save themselves. Because not only have we sinned, but we continue to sin. And we will continue to sin until we die, or until Christ returns again. We live in a sinful state. But our salvation, that which we have, is from Christ Jesus. He has saved us from all of our sins. Now, that's something that we confess. That's something that we believe. That's, that's the essence of what it means to be a Christian. We know that. We've been taught that continually. But yet, when you look at that word grace, that unmerited salvation, we need to again remind ourselves Christ has died for all of my sins. All of my sins. And so in the first four, verses 18 to 21, Paul is reminding us of that. He says, therefore, as one trespass, he comes to why we are sinners. Why do we live in this state of sin? Why is the world as bad as it is? Why can some people be so evil, especially when there's war? War seems to release an evil within man, and he's so able to do many things that he would never think of doing when there's no war. So I need to hate, and, and all this stuff comes pouring out. And we see all this evil that a man can do. Man is able to do much evil and be very depraved. Paul speaks about that, and we know that. The first sin came through Adam. Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit. They desired to be as God, knowing good and evil, living according to their own self-will, living according to their own law, law-making heart, making laws according to their own desires. As we look around us in, in our own land, and we see how more and more men lives apart from the law of God and seeks to make laws. That which is bad becomes good. That which becomes good, God's law, becomes, for this generation, something bad. Man hates God's law. Man has fallen to sin, and all of us have been conceived and born in sin. That's our sinful nature our corrupt nature within ourselves, what we call human depravity, that we indeed have sinned, and we've fallen far short of the glory of God. So Paul said there, very clearly, therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation of all men, all men are condemned to die because of their sins. And right from the very start, we see with Cain and Abel, and we see with the generations of, of those who follow, every man that's born Lived for so many years. At first, they lived many years, but then they die. Death is result of sin. It's not only physical death, but it's also spiritual death. When man rejects God and is dead in his sin and his trespasses, he follows the current of sin, the temptations of the devil. He follows the world around him, and his own inclination is to sin, to do that which is contrary. To God's word. So Paul reminds us, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, but then he says, so one act of righteousness, which act of righteousness? Christ, who came to this world, who lived a perfect life, who was not conceived and born in sin, but was perfect and lived according to God's law all his life, and then on the cross of Calvary, he died for our sins. So one act of righteousness. That act of Christ dying on the cross was sufficient for all of our sins 
all of my sins, all of your sins, for all of God's people. For one act of righteousness, he paid for all the sins of his people. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Not for all people in this world, but all for those who believe in him, all those who repent and follow and believe Jesus Christ. And Paul then emphasizes that in verse 19 when he says, For it's by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners. The descendants of Adam, the Adam is God's representative, Adam made in the image of God, truly just, truly holy, with knowledge, the knowledge of God, the ability to communicate with God, to pray to God, to, to listen to God, to follow God, to have a conscience that would direct him that which is right and wrong, listen to the, the, what God says. But then Adam fell into sin for by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. That representative, chosen by God, created by God, fell into sin. And so the many were made sinners. But at the same time it says, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous in God, in Christ Jesus. We are declared righteous. In verse 20, Paul speaks about the law of God. As I mentioned, and more and more we see that man makes his own laws. He follows his own self-desires, his own self-wills. God says, this is good. Man says, it's not good. I don't like to live that way. He makes laws that are contrary to God's laws. He seeks to live according to these laws. And seeks to obligate others to live according to those laws. But in verse 20, he says, now the law, God's law, came in to increase the trespass in this sense. In order to teach us. Where sin lies in our lives. That we may know ourselves and that we may know our sinfulness. But where sin increased, it says also, grace abounded all the more. What's Paul telling us? First of all, he's talking about those two representatives. Adam, the first Adam, the first Adam, the first representative who fell into sin. And then the second Adam, Christ Jesus who came to this world to save us. The law, on the one hand, points to that condemnation, that sinful state that there is in Adam, but at the same time, it points to how we can be saved. We have sinned, we have fallen short, but Christ came, he died on the cross. So Paul is saying, and look to Christ. Look for your salvation in Christ Jesus. He is the one who came to save us from all of our sins. Repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ and receive that salvation. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Grace, we've been saved by grace. Unmerited on our part. Nothing that we have done not by the works of our hands, not what we could do, not following the law of God, but looking to Christ, receiving salvation by grace. We have been saved. And then man becomes creative in the sinfulness. Even though we confess Jesus Christ, even though we follow Jesus Christ, often we find ourselves in problems. We go to church we give praise to God. Monday comes. 
you find yourselves falling back into the same habits, the habits of the heart, the same vices, the same way of living. We find ourselves doing that which we ought not to be doing. It's become a pattern in our life, an addiction. We fall back into it. And then our mind starts to think, but God has saved me through Christ Jesus, our Lord. He's paid for all of my sins. It's all through what he has done. And we look at our sin and we seek in some ways to seek forgiveness, but yet not to let go of that sin, not to let go of that way of living. People say, well, that's just the way I am. Or I can't change, it's just too hard. Or I'm not that bad. There's a lot of people that are doing a lot worse things than this. This is just something small, just something I'm looking at, or just something I'm doing. But it's not that wrong. We seek to somehow acknowledge that we are sinners, acknowledge we're saved by grace, but not to let die that sin within us. And that's what Paul is dealing with in chapter 6, where he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin? Can we confess the name of Jesus Christ? Can we say that we have been saved by grace, that we have been justified, that he is our Lord, and that he is our Savior, that he has pulled us out of the depths of our sinfulness, following the current of this age, and washed us clean through his blood. He's taken us out of the muck, the ickiness, the yuckiness of life, and he has saved us, and he's washed us pure. And after washing us pure, that we'd go back, we'd be stuck in there. Sometimes when we're walking along, we, get a, we step on a piece of gum, we're trying to get it off our shoe. And it sticks to us, and it sticks to us, and we can't get it out. It's even worse if you get that piece of gum stuck in your hair. You just can't get it out. We get stuck in sin. We dwell in it. We just can't seem to get it off our being. And we continue these sinful patterns. And then our creative mind seeks to justify, but I'm a Christian, but I have been saved. And Christ, Christ can cover this sin, and that causes us to step back and not to do anything about these sinful habits. What does Paul say? What shall we say then? Are we continuing to sin that grace may be abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Christ has saved us from our sins. He's washed us clean of these sins. And he asks us to walk in a way that's good and pleasing in his sight, to live a life of salvation. So how does Paul then seek to bring us out of that way, that, that sinful pattern as a Christian? By the following. He says, do you not know, in verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus have been baptized in his death? He was placed on the cross of Calvary. When he was placed on the cross of Calvary, your old man, that sinful man, that man that was full of sin and evil was placed on the cross with him. When we see Christ in his agony, suffering the depth of hell for us, 
taking upon himself all of our sin, all that evil on the cross. As he's there on the cross and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's for our sins. The sins of our hearts, the sins of our minds, the sins that we do. He died for all of your sins. He died. He suffered agony. He suffered hell itself on the cross of Calvary. So as we lift up our eyes and we see Christ and his suffering, we need to recognize that was us. That was for us. He died for us. He took upon himself our sins. And then Christ dies. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my, commit my spirit. He says, it is finished. The sacrifice is finished. He died. He commits his, his spirit into the hands of his father. His body is taken down from the cross. Our old man is taken down from the cross. And it says in verse 4, and we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. Our old man was placed in a tomb with the body of Christ Jesus. That's how closely we identify with him. We find union with Christ Jesus in his sacrifice and in his death. We're buried therefore with him by baptism. Why? Paul says, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too, raised from the dead with Christ, new life in Christ, regenerated, born again by the power of the Holy Spirit that must work in us new life. For what? From the dead by the glory of God, we too might walk in newness of life. So as the law condemns those who live in sin, as we look at the law and we realize the law is condemning us in, in our thoughts, in our desires, in our actions, the envy, the, 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 the anger, the rage, the lust, all these passions, these disordered passions, these contrary passions. Well, that was the way we lived. That was the way of sin. But now the law points us to a new way for those who are in Christ, those who have died with Christ, those who are alive in Christ, to walk according to the law of God in the strength of the Holy Spirit, to study Scripture and through the Holy Spirit, to seek to live a life according to all that God says in His Word. For it says in verse 5, For if we have been united with Him in a death like Him, like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. As he died, we think of his body broken, his blood, his blood shed, his body placed in the grave. That was us. And he rises again. That was us. We were united with him. For if we are united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We have new life. What's Paul asking us to do? Believe it. Have faith in him. To look to him. To not look at that Life in the muck of life, in the muck of sin, but rather to look at the life that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. For Christ not only rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God in glory. He rules over all things, he has all dominion, all authority, all power. 
And Paul is asking us to look to Christ. He is the one who rules over us. He's the one who has granted us the spirit of life that we may live. And God is calling us to live for him, to live for his honor, and to live for his glory. We know that our old self is crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And as you deal with your own sins in your own lives, we do deal with sin. We do sin. There are issues in our lives. There are things we ought not to be doing, what we ought not to be thinking, what we ought not to be desiring. Do you see yourself enslaved to sin? Does it have dominion over you? Or are you looking to Christ, the liberator, the one who's taken us out of, out of Egypt and brought us to a new land, a new life, a life of walking in him, of living in him, of living for his honor and living for his glory. For one who has died, Paul says in verse 7, for one who has died being set free from sin. Have you been truly set free? Do you find yourself living a life of freedom, freedom in Christ, free from sins, free from the habits of the heart, free from spinning our wheels constantly in the same, in the same muck? Or can you say, yes, Christ has set me free from these sins. I have salvation and I can live for him. We know, Paul says, and now if we have died with Christ, we believe we also live with him in verse 8. Verse 9, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. And death no longer has dominion over our spirit. We have salvation. We have been saved. We have been justified. We have been declared righteous in the sight of God. We have a Savior. We have been saved by grace, not by our merits, by what Christ has done for us. We can say we have truly been saved from all of our sins. We truly will one day be with Christ Jesus, our Lord, in the most heavenly places. His body was raised. He, in sight of his disciples, he sits upon the throne. He's being glorified. But we, as we are united within his death and in his resurrection, we are united with his body in his glorification. We too have received his glory, a life of glory that we can live in this world, in this time in which we live. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ Jesus. We are alive. You are alive. If you live, truly live in our Lord, in Christ. What does that mean for our lives? As we've been saying, verse 12, let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body. Why not? Because Christ reigns in us. So if we are united in Christ, if we receive our life in Christ, he's reigning in us. 
He's defeating sin in us through his spirit and through his word. And we must seek to reign with Christ. We must seek to have dominion over the sin in our lives. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for your righteousness. That was the endurance I would say to the endurance I was, I was preaching to. Your heart, the heart that you have within your being, the life that you've sought to live in your own strength, trying to figure it out in your own way, trying to do things right in, in, in your own power, trying to figure it out, but figure it out on your own, seeking for one hand to say you're a Christian, but on the other hand, to not take sin that seriously. Take that heart, or let Christ take that heart to draw it out of your body and to place that heart in the hand of God. That's where it needs to be. Our God, ruling over us, controlling us, helping us to live a life that's for his honor and for his glory. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. You're no longer condemned by the law because you've been sanctified. You've been not sanctified, justified by Jesus Christ. You've been declared righteous and now live out a life of sanctification according to the law of God. Each day, struggling against sin, against temptation, against the world around us, seeking to live for God's honor and God's glory. For he is the almighty, all-powerful God. He can do all things, and he has granted to us salvation. What's our response? Believe. Believe it. He is sufficient for all of our needs. May he help you and all of us to live according to his good pleasure according to his law for his honor and for his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that many times we find ourselves indeed stuck in sin. The sins of yesterday, the sins of today and as we move forward, it seems like we still live in those sins. And life can be frustrating. It can be dark. It can be dreary. Our faith may fall short. Our eyes may turn cloudy. And we find ourselves, rather than looking to Christ, to still be looking to be indwelling in that which is contrary to what you have commanded us. Heavenly Father, we pray that you may help us each and every day to lift our weary eyes, our, our painful soul, our heart that can be so rent asunder, to look to Christ, to find our hope in him, to listen to his calling us, to live in him, to believe in him, to follow him, 
that he has granted us life, that he died on the cross of Calvary for the complete remission of all of our sins, that we may have hope, faith, love, that we may follow in all that you've commanded us to do. Oh, Heavenly Father, you, we pray that you may bless each and every one of us with the comfort that we have been saved, that we have been saved on the merit of Christ by grace alone. Bless us, Lord God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us now stand to sing number 25B, verses 